Welcome everyone to uh, Web Yeshiva's uh, Shurim on the Seder. Uh, tonight we are going to be discussing Maror and uh, as you can see in the picture, the lettuce, but we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, where Maror comes from. Uh, I actually called this year uh, Maror an origin story, so I'm going to share my screen. Um, and we're going to look at some sources together, and we'll also uh, look at some pictures. And um, uh, welcome, everyone, first of all. Uh, my name is Tamara Spitz. Uh, I also teach Dafyomi here on Web Yeshiva. Um, I invite you, if you have any questions, you can uh, write in the chat, uh, and I, I will try to answer everyone's questions either as we go along or, um, or at the end. Um, so uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about Maror. I feel like, uh, you know, we're, when we sit at the Seder, we have a lot of anticipation for uh, the songs, uh, for the matzah, for the children, um, you know, for the food, the, the main course. And Maror seems to be kind of like stuck in there. Uh, if you are one of my children who really does not like eating any fruits or vegetables, this is like his, the worst part of the Seder. Uh, for myself, I remember growing up, we didn't eat lettuce. We actually ate uh, like horseradish, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. Uh, and I remember like the, the, the taste was so bitter, you know, as a child, I just remember uh, it being almost, you know, a, a painful experience. Um, so I want to talk a little bit tonight about um, what is Maror? Why are we eating it? What are we meant to be thinking about? Um, and I want to try to kind of delve a little bit deeper. Um, so let's start with why do we eat Maror in the first place? Uh, the Torah tells us uh, in the first source in Exodus and Shemot, um, that uh, the Egyptians, right, they have du mitzrayim et b'nei Israel b'farech, the, the, Jew, the Egyptians uh, ruthlessly, as uh, Sepharia um, um, translates, um, imposed, right, work on the Israelites. And, um, uh, and um, verse 14 tells us, right, the yimaruru et chayehem be'avoda kasha. Right, the the Egyptians uh, made their lives bitter. Right, they ruthlessly they made their lives bitter with harsh labor, and the the pasuk continues on how that labor was so harsh. So we have this idea of the yimariru et chayehem uh, that uh, the Egyptians made their lives bitter. So we're already seeing this idea of bitterness. Uh, equaling slavery. Uh, interestingly, later on in, uh, later on in Shemot Perek Bet, in the 12th chapter, um, God tells the Jewish people that they are going to eat the Korban Pesach, uh, the, the Paschal Lamb, right, the, the sacrifice. Uh, they are going to eat that, uh, that Korban Pesach at night, and they have to roast the meat. And how do they eat this sacrifice, right? There, there's no temple at this point, but in Egypt, they're going to roast the meat and they're going to eat it with matzot, right? The unleavened bread with matzah and with the bitter herbs, al mirorim, right? So we have this idea in source number two that 
these three come together, the Pesach Korban, the Matzah, and the Maror. And we're going to get back to this in a minute, uh, in a, a little bit later in the, in the, in the Shi'ur. Uh, but what's interesting here in source number two is, I don't have a reason for the Maror. Uh, the Maror, it doesn't say here, you will eat it on, you know, with bitter herbs because your life is so bitter. So that's just interesting to point out. Um, that's source number two. Um, source number three, Rashi comments exactly on this verse that we just read. What does it mean that you have to eat it with maror? So Rashi explains that any bitter herb is called maror, right? Anything that's bitter can be used as maror. Um, and Rashi gives us an explanation. Why do we eat the bitter herbs? Because it reminds us of the verse we quoted in source number one, right? And they made their lives bitter. So that's Rashi uh, telling us or interpreting why uh, we are eating the bitter herbs. So now, uh, I think very clearly, we need to ask ourselves, what is maror? Uh, where does it come from? What can I use? Again, Rashi seems to imply that we can use anything that's a bitter herb. Um, interestingly, the, the Mishnah tells us in source number four um, that these are the vegetables that you can use to fulfill your obligation. Um, and the, the Mishnah gives us five uh, um, vegetables or herbs. Uh, I'll read them in Hebrew just because we're not sure what they are, and I'll show you in a minute uh, what, what they actually look like. Uh, so we have chazeret, we have ulashin, we have um, tamcha, then we have charchavina, and maror. Okay, so some of you might be familiar with chazeret uh, and the word maror. Uh, what are the things in the middle? Um, so uh, the Gemara is actually going to describe what each of these are, uh, what each one of these is. And um, I'm going to show you my friend, actually, my friend Shuli Mishkin uh, wrote an article on Hadran, which is a, a website for Dafyomi. Uh, she wrote a, 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 an article on the five different um, herbs that are mentioned here in this Mishnah. And uh, for, I'll show you the pictures that she uh, added in her article. But what's very interesting about this Mishnah, not only is it these these herbs or these things that grow, I don't know if I would call them vegetables per se, uh, we'll see in a minute, um, but what's interesting is that we have five types are mentioned. That reminds us of a Mishnah, uh, source number five, the Mishnah in Masechet Chala, which talks about five grains that make challah, but that also make matzah. And what's fascinating is there seems to be a parallel between five vegetables that are, uh, that are considered valid for maror, for bitter herbs, and five grains that are valid for matzah. So here you can see the five species. The Mishnah tells us um, we have wheat, barley, spelt, oats, and rye. Uh, and these five um, grains will, uh, if you make a dough, you have to take off challah. 
that's during the year. And if you make a matzah out of these five, right, one of these or a combination of these oh, of these grains, uh, you will fulfill the commandment, the mitzvah of eating matzah on Pesach. And if they are leavened, they become chametz. So that's just very interesting that there are five species um, that make uh, matzah kosher and five species of kosher um, or, or appropriate herbs for maror. So that's, that's just an interesting, I think, correlation between the matzah and the maror, which again, we're going to get to in a, in a little bit. Um, but let's go to the Gemara. So we saw the Mishnah. Uh, the Mishnah gives us this list of uh, of five, and the Gemara asks, right, what are these five uh, herbs or 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 vegetables? Uh, and it goes through each one, trying to identify them. Um, and then the Gemara asks, um, is there an order to uh, that list? Again, the the list is uh, here in source number four. We have a list of five different herbs is there a list meaning is there an order meaning it starts with chazeret does that mean chazeret is the best uh or is it going in order of you know from least to best right and then maybe maror would be the best right what is the order so the gemara discusses what is the best thing to use um and the Gemara says, Chazeret is the best thing to use, that yes, it's an order. And what is Chazeret? Chazeret is Chasa, right? Chasa here in Aramaic, uh, but you can see here a picture. Uh, this is Chasa, those of you familiar with Hebrew, uh, Chasa means lettuce. Um, and the Gemara concludes that the best thing uh, to use is Chasa, is romaine lettuce. Um, the, the question is why, why is chasa so good? Why is this lettuce so good? So the Gemara on, uh, on, uh, source number seven tells us that, um, chasa is the best. Why? Because it's a play on words, right? Chasa, again, as I said, chasa means lettuce, but chas means to have compassion. So the Gemara tells us right? Why do we use lettuce? It refers to the fact that God had mercy on us, right? He had mercy on us and therefore we should eat chasa. Now that's very interesting because if you remember in the beginning, we said we're going to eat chasa, right? Or maror because our lives were so bitter. Now the Gemara seems to be adding another reason. Uh, we we eat it because of a almost like a play on words that we're going to eat chasa because it reminds us of this word compassion, right? God had compassion on us and took us out of Egypt. So we already have an interesting idea of why are we eating maror? It seems that on one hand it's because right? Our lives were bitter, right? And maror is bitter. On the other hand, it seems that um, it could be about the compassion of God. 
Interestingly, um, the, the Gemara continues and says there's actually another reason that we eat maror, right? Why do we eat maror? So the Gemara tells us um, that Rabbi Shmuel Bar Nachmani said, that Rabbi Yochanan said, why are the Egyptians like bitter herbs, right? So again, another kind of, uh, not so much a play on words, but uh, more metaphorical. The Egyptians are like Maror. Why? Because, right, again, it says, and they embittered their lives. So we say, interestingly, it's more about the, the, the Egyptians themselves, right? This comparison serves to tell you that just as the bitter herbs are soft at first, and then they become harsh at the end, so too the Egyptians were soft at first, right? When they, in the beginning, they originally paid the Jews to do their work, but they were harsh in the end as they enslaved them. So this is another interesting idea that um, Maror itself, and we'll see this uh, again in one minute when we get to different species that we've mentioned, um, that Maror itself might be something that starts off soft, but then gets hard. And that reminds us of what it was like in Egypt, right? In Egypt, if we read the verses very carefully in Shemot, especially in the beginning, we understand that it wasn't all at one shot, right? It wasn't that one day the Egyptians woke up and said, we're going to enslave these people. Rather, it was a slow, gradual process, right? At first they said, you know what? You'll do a little work. We'll pay you. It'll be fine. And, and slowly um, the work got harder. The pay got less. And they ended up being, right, uh, really slaves uh, in the sense that, uh, again, as we read at the beginning, that their lives were bitter. So what's interesting about this is, and here I have some pictures, um, again, thanks to uh, Shuli. Uh, as I mentioned, we have um, five different uh, species or herbs or vegetables that are mentioned. So number one, let's go back to our romaine lettuce. That would be chazeret or chasa, as we mentioned. So that's number one. Number two, we have alush or ulshin. Um, this, the Gemara explains, are endives. Uh, so here's a picture of endives for those of you who are not familiar. Um, another, another, um, another ve vegetable that is used um, specifically in the the more Sephardi background, the more uh, maybe um, a Spanish background would be escarole, uh, which for those of you who are not familiar, are these, uh, you can see here, a leafy green in the chicory family, uh, and they have a bitter flavor, which is good because that's what we're looking for. Um, another another uh, thing that's mentioned in the Gemara is um, charchavina. Um, the Gemara explains charchavina um, is something that starts off soft and ends up hard, like we mentioned previously. Um, and here, uh, Shuli Mishkin, as I mentioned in her article in Hadran, uh, explains that this could be uh, what's pictured here, eryngium criticum, maybe, is maybe how you pronounce that. Um, but interestingly, um, Arabs actually call this 
Abraham's thorn or Jew's thorn. And what's interesting about this, right? It doesn't look very edible, but it, it starts off very soft. Um, and then right, it grows these soft leaves and then um, the leaves uh, fall off and these hard thorns grow in their place. Uh, and it's interesting to think about, again, as the Gemara explained, right, how the, the Jews' life in Egypt started off soft and ended up hard, right? We don't really see that with our romaine lettuce, but we would see it with this plant as well. Um, the last, the, the last uh, thing that we mentioned is maror or miriruta, uh, and this uh, is explained to be um, so thistle. Um, I think that's how you pronounce it. Uh, it's a wild uh, herb that grows and it has these yellow flowers uh, in the summer. And what's fascinating about this, uh, this also is something that starts off soft and ends up being hard. Um, but, uh, not but, but, and uh, what's interesting about this one is uh, if those, those of you who are familiar with the Samaritans, uh, the Shomronim, uh, they are a, a group of people who live here in Israel, uh, and they are, um, they are, uh, I guess, Jewish adjacent, maybe is one way to put it. Uh, they, they, they come from, uh, again, the Shomronim from the time uh, of uh, right early, I, I would say early, early times of Israel, uh, where they only uh, follow the um, the Bible, meaning the written law. They do not follow rabbinic law, um, and they actually uh, they follow the idea that right. If you look at the Bible uh, in the Chumash, God says, "When you get to Israel, I will tell you where you will worship me." Uh, and right, we believe that that is Yerushalayim, Jerusalem. The Shomronim say that it's actually Har Grizim. If you remember at the end of the Chumash, uh, God tells the Jewish people, when you go into Israel, you are going to do this ceremony uh, on Har Grizim and Har Eval. These are two uh, mountains in the Shomron, in Samaria. Uh, and the, the Samaritans say, uh, this is God telling us where uh, he wants to be worshiped. Um, so their temple is on Har Grizim. Uh, and if those of you who are in Israel, they actually uh, sacrifice a, a Korban Pesach, a Paschal lamb uh, for their Pesach, when they believe Pesach is. Um, interesting, my husband and his friends actually once went to see it. Uh, he said it was fascinating. Uh, but what's interesting is they eat the meat with this herb that you see here, this so thistle, uh, they think that, that this is maror, uh, and that's what they eat their korban Pesach with. So that's just interesting in terms of understanding um, what is maror and where it comes from. What is fascinating about these five herbs is that they're all wild plants that grow in Israel. Right? There are things that grow in Israel, you, you could see, right? some have thorns, some have flowers, um, but they all grow here uh, in Israel. Interestingly, um, right, we're going to get to horseradish uh, in a minute. Um, 
But first, right, again, horseradish is not mentioned, right? How many of you uh, use horseradish in, uh, you know, in Asmaror? I see some people are raising hands. So, uh, okay, I got two hands raised. So, right, many people, oh, three. So many people use uh, horseradish. The question is, where does that come from? We didn't mention horseradish. So let's, uh, we'll get to that in a minute. First, let's understand, again, we said it needs to be something bitter. Uh, the Gemara, uh, source number eight, um, the Gemara says that, um, how do I know that it needs to be a vegetable, right? Maybe I just need to uh, eat something bitter, right? We said it needs to be bitter. So the Gemara says, maybe I should be able to eat a bitter fish, right? It's very bitter. So maybe I should eat that. The Gemara says, no. Uh, and again, back to something that we mentioned earlier, uh, the Gemara says, that bitter herbs are similar to matzah in the sense that we're going to compare them. What does that mean? Just as matzah must be prepared only from food that grows from the ground, remember our five grains, so too the bitter herbs need to be from food that grows from the ground. So it can't be anything bitter that you have uh, you know, in your refrigerator. You actually have to use something that grows from the ground. Um, how about something like right, the Gemara talks about an oleander bush, which we'll see is some sort of, I guess, more of a tree than a bush. Uh, the Gemara says maybe we can use that. It's very bitter. The Gemara says no. Again, it's similar to matzah. Just like matzah is from a plant in the sense that it grows from the ground uh, as a, uh, right, a, some, meaning not a tree, Right, so too bitter herbs need to be a, again like a vegetable or an herb and cannot be from a tree. So again, interestingly, um, we're less focused on the bitter and more focused on the connection between matzah um, and maror. So now we have to understand, wait a minute, and I see many people wrote in either that they use just horseradish or they use romaine plus horseradish. So where did horseradish come from, right? Where, that's not mentioned in our Mishnah. Um, so how is it possible that that's what we use or many of us use? Um, so um, Shuli actually explained that in the 17th century, again, uh, most Jews uh, after the exile are, are not living in Israel. So telling me uh, five different wild uh, herbs that grow in Israel is not very helpful to um, right, Tevya living in Anatevka, right? So if you're living in, uh, you know, in, in Russia, if you're living in Poland, uh, you are not going to find many of these uh, herbs. So what happened uh, in the 17th century and probably even earlier, uh, Rabbi Yom Tov Lippmann Heller of Prague identified tamcha, that was one of the things that we mentioned. He said it's actually chrein, right? If those of you are familiar with the word chrein, right? Chrein being horseradish, and here's a picture of the root. Um, I was thinking to just show you a picture of the, you know, the jar, but right, it's really a root, uh, right? So um, he said that really um, this is one of those five things that the Mishnah was talking about. And uh, therefore, you can eat uh, horseradish. Uh, so that became very popular in Eastern Europe. 
As I mentioned before, the Sfaradim, right, more of Spanish descent, uh, they actually used uh, endives or escarole, because that was something that was uh, more popular in their region. So I think it's just interesting to think about, right, how much of um, our our seder is is really tradition, right? What is something that your family used, right? Either uh, you know in America, in in Europe, in Israel, right? But how far back do those traditions go? And that's something that's I think very powerful about seder night, right? Seder night is really about uh, connecting to the past and passing it on to the future, right? And that's really, you know, we always talk about um, being links in a chain. And, and I think that that's such a powerful idea, especially uh, on, uh, on, the, on the Seder night, on Pesach night, where um, many old traditions come out, right? I remember, and I really do remember, growing up, my grandfather eating the, the, this horseradish in like chunks, like not just a grated little pieces, like actually chunks. And, and you know, we would see who would cry first uh, at the table. Um, so it's something that is, uh, you know, a, a childhood memory of mine, a very strong memory. Um, so I think it's just interesting for all of us when we get to Cedar Night to think about, you know, how is this connecting me to my past? And how am I passing that forward, right? So uh, we, uh, I think as many people wrote, uh, we do together, right, the horseradish and the lettuce. Uh, again, because I think, uh, I don't know, I imagine that it was always true, but uh, growing up, we didn't really look at uh, the amount of horseradish we ate, but nowadays we're all into measuring and, you know, their pictures and rulers. Uh, we all want to eat, you know, eat as much as, uh, you know, as we need to. Uh, and the, the amount of, of maror that we need to eat uh, is very large. Uh, so, you know, it's, a, you know, a leaf of romaine lettuce. Uh, so to eat that in horseradish would be a lot. So I think what many people do is they take a leaf of, of their romaine lettuce. Uh, some people, uh, the, the strong ones, uh, put some horseradish in the middle and fold it up and eat it. Uh, you know, some people pass on the horseradish. Uh, but again, interestingly, how uh, those traditions have uh, passed on or maybe adapted uh, from one generation to another. Um, okay, I I'd like to continue uh, talking about the connection between Pesach, Matzah, and Maror, right? We're all familiar with this line. It's it's kind of echoing in the background. Uh, if you remember, uh, it's actually a Mishnah. Uh, so those of you, I see some familiar faces. Those of you who learned Masech Pesachim with me, uh, you might remember learning this. Uh, but those of you who have read the Haggadah every year will also remember this. Uh, I think people are not really uh, familiar with the fact that Seder night, its origins are in the Mishnah and in the Gemara. So many of the things that we say um, are actually straight from the Mishnah. Uh, so source number nine, the, the Gemara in Masechet Psachim tells us, right, Rabban Gamliel would say, right, whoever does not say the following three things on Pesach, did not fulfill his obligation, right? Right? What are the three things that we must say uh, on Pesach night, on Seder night? 
Pesach, Matzah, and Maror. Right, and it goes through in, in, in the Mishnah also. I, I, I skipped it, but uh, you'll see right in the Haggadah, we go through each one. Why do we have Pesach? Why do we have Matzah? Why do we have Maror? Uh, we actually, uh, when my husband and I did a Seder, we actually uh, lived in South America for a few years, uh, and we did a communal Seder for 300 people. Uh, and uh, my husband got up. Many of the people were not really affiliated. They were really coming for the meal. Uh, but we said, right, you have to, um, you have to, you know, if, if you don't do anything tonight, we need to say the following three things. And he basically divided up the hall in three parts. He's like, you are Pesach. You are Matzah and you are Maror, and everybody had to say all three words. He's like, okay, now you can all go home. You can now have your meal. Um, but right, Rabban Gamliel, right, Rabban Gamliel says you need to say these three things. So that is already starting to um, kind of brew in our minds. Wait, what does that mean, Pesach Matzah and Maror? We could think that there are three separate things, right? They are intrinsic parts of Seder night. Or we can say that they are intrinsically linked. If you remember source number, here I can go back to it. Um, source number two told us how did they eat the, the Korban Pesach, right? That original night in Egypt when they were right, getting ready to leave the next day. But what did they do that night? They were sitting in their huts. They were eating their Korban Pesach with their matzah and their maror. This is just, by the way, uh, um, a, an interesting fact, right? We all say, why do we eat matzah? Because the Jews left Egypt uh, in a hurry and it, they didn't have time for the matzah to rise. But if you look at the verse uh, in source number two, they actually, the night before, needed to eat wow. matzah. Uh, so that's just very interesting. There are different, uh, there are different explanations. This is not a shir on matzah, so I'll let whoever uh, gave their shir on matzah, maybe they'll talk about it. Uh, but, you know, one could say, oh, they're eating matzah now to foreshadow tomorrow when they were going to leave, right, the next day when they were going to leave in a hurry, or maybe not. So that's, uh, that's a matzah shir. Uh, but let's go back to our, uh, our maror, right? So we see that there's this link, and we saw that before. We saw that right, matzah and maror are linked in the sense that both of them have five options of different things that you could eat. Uh, we saw that uh, they both come from the ground, right? They're both plants and not trees. So there seems to be something very uh, intrinsically linked between uh, these two and three, right? Again, Pesach, uh, unfortunately, we do not have Pesach nowadays. Right, so here the Gemara actually talks about that. Don't forget, uh, the Gemara is written after the destruction of the temple. So the Gemara says, um, we do not have Korban Pesach anymore. If I don't have Korban Pesach anymore, what happens to Matzah and Maror? If we're saying that they're linked, what, what do I do? Right, so the Gemara actually tells us, wait a minute. First of all, Matzah has a separate obligation. Uh, right, we're told to eat Matzah you know, for seven days and specifically the first night. Um, therefore, matzah is biblical in origin. But maror, the Gemara seems to say, is only rabbinic, right? If we don't have the Pesach, right here the Gemara says, um, 
right? The, why is the mitzvah of the bitter herbs different than matzah? Again, it says, and we just read it, right? That you had to eat the Paschal lamb with matzah and bitter herbs, right? From which it's derived when there's an obligation to eat the Paschal lamb, meaning when there's a temple and we're bringing sacrifices, then there's a mitzvah to eat the bitter herbs. When there's no obligation to bring the Korban Pesach, there's no obligation to eat the bitter herbs. Again, on a, on a, a biblical level, there is, however, on a rabbinic level, we still need uh, to eat the maror. So here it seems to say, and, and again, as we, we previously mentioned, that the maror is intrinsically linked to the Pesach, the korban, the sacrifice, so much so that if there's no sacrifice, what do I do with the maror? Do I have to eat it? Do I not have to eat it? Uh, and it seems that it only, um, it seems that it becomes like a lower level, right, rabbinic as opposed to uh, a bib biblical in origin. Uh, another question is, how do we eat it, right? If you remember from last year, it's hard to remember, right, every year, but if you remember, we actually eat maror twice. Once we eat it by itself, and the other time we eat it as a sandwich. If you remember, the Gemara tells us, and the Haggadah quotes the Gemara, that Hillel used to eat a sandwich, right? It's called Korech, where Hillel used to eat a sandwich with matzah and maror, right? And this actually reminds us of what they used to do with the, with the sacrifice, with the Korban Pesach. They would have really like a sandwich, meat, maror, and matzah, right? And you ate it together as a sandwich. So we actually do both of those things to follow both opinions. Um, and it seems that now uh, we're going to try to understand what is the purpose of maror? Excuse me, why are we eating maror? Right, again, we saw source number 11, I brought it for you again, we saw it in the beginning. Um, we saw that Rashi explains the, the idea that we have to eat bitter herbs as a reminder of the original source number one that I brought for you, that the lives of the Jews were bitter, right? The word mar or maror, right? Their lives were bitter. Um, and therefore, we need to eat maror, right? And how many, again, I, I mentioned before, right? I remember sitting at my grandparents' table and everybody's literally crying because they're eating such bitter herbs. Uh, nowadays with romaine lettuce, I don't really cry. Uh, I don't know about you. Um, my child who does not like, my child who does not like vegetables definitely cries, uh, but most people are not really crying. So is there another reason that we're eating maror. So interestingly, the Eben Ezra explains that there's another reason maybe that we're eating maror, right? He says that um, one of the Spanish wise men explained that it's well known that because the Nile, right, because of the Nile and the lack of rain, the humidity in Egypt was very high and the air is always moist. It is therefore their custom to eat all sorts of bitter herbs and mustards with their meals. An Egyptian always had bitters in which to dip his bread, even if he had but one loaf of bread, because the bitters are a cure 
for their climate. So that's fascinating because we did not say that beforehand, right? We're talking about bitterness. We were talking about soft and then hard. The Ebenezer actually adds uh, another part of, or another side of Maror, right? He says, it's a side dish. It's a side dish that was always eaten in Egypt. And therefore, uh, when the Jewish people were sitting in Egypt and eating their sacrificial lamb, right, the Korban Pesach, um, they were going to eat it, thank you, a condiment, better, uh, right, they were going to eat it with these uh, bitter herbs. It was part of the meal, right? It's literally like, right, if you have a hamburger, you put some lettuce in there to freshen it up or liven it up. Here it seems that that's the way the Egyptians ate their food. However, right again, uh, interestingly, um, interestingly, the the uh, the Ebenezer ends by saying, however, we will rely on the opinion of our ancestor of of the, our ancients of blessed memory, who explained to us that the reason for the bitter herbs is to remind us that they made their lives bitter. So it's interesting. He doesn't want to take away from the bitterness, but he's adding, I think, another perspective. Um, one second, Ilana wrote, one of the rabbis were bringing in the business. Uh, 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 excellent. You got to my point before I even, nobody read the comment. Nobody read it. Okay. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Ilana got to the point. Beautiful. Um, beautiful. We are going to get there in a minute. Um, so we have these two ideas. Beautiful. Right. On one hand, we're talking about the slavery and the bitterness. On the other hand, we were talking about eating the maror with the korban Pesach, right? And exactly as Ilana said, right, when did we eat the korban Pesach? When we had the temple, right? Beautiful, right? When we had the temple, we ate the maror. And maybe it's there to remind us of the temple, right? We don't have that temple anymore. And maybe we are, so it's interesting. So you're talking about the loss of the temple. Um, and beautiful, I liked how you added in suffering that's going on nowadays. It's true that we need to connect to the suffering that's happening in this world um, and helping the children understand. Uh, I wanna go in a little bit of a different but very connected uh, direction, right? So uh, first, there's a very interesting discussion in the Gemara about um, tasting the maror, right? And this is going to help us a little bit, right? The Gemara tells us that if you swap, please don't do this at home, choking hazard, but if you swallowed the matzah without chewing it, did you fulfill your obligation? The Gemara says yes. However, if you swallowed the bitter herbs, then, uh, and you didn't, right? What's the point of swallowing it? Like a pill, right? You don't uh, you don't uh, taste it. Uh, if you swallowed it, you did not fulfill your obligation for maror, right? This seems to imply that you have to taste the bitterness, right? That goes back to the idea of slavery. What's fascinating that Rashi actually seems to have had a different um, um, text to this Gemara, and he actually says, right, if you swallow it, you did fulfill your obligation. Mm -hmm. And he says, you don't have to taste the bitter herbs, 
right? And that seems to go back to what we just said, right? On one hand, right, again, what, what is maror, right? That's really what we want to understand, right? On one hand, the maror definitely represents bitterness. Whether you're eating the horseradish or the romaine lettuce or endives, you're getting something bitter, um, right? Does it lead you to tears? For some people, maybe, right? And you're supposed to feel, I liked how Ilana said, right? You're supposed to feel the suffering uh, that's going on, right? Maybe nowadays in this world, in the past to our ancestors, right? So there's definitely uh, that side of Maror. But I think, interestingly, and this I actually read in a, 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 a very interesting article by Rabbi Yehuda Saif, um, and he basically comes to the conclusion that Maror is not only about bitterness, but he says it's also about the redemption, which is a little bit where you were going, Alana, but a, a little bit different. But he says, what is the symbol of eating maror? It symbolizes we're remembering that we used to eat the maror with the korban Pesach. When did we eat the korban Pesach? When we had a temple, when we were free in our land, right? First of all, on that first night, right, right before we were free, on the eve of freedom, we can say, right, the, the eve of redemption. Uh, we ate it when we came into Israel, when we were finally in our homeland, and we ate it when we built the temple in Jerusalem, right? And therefore, it's also a sign of freedom. And it's interesting to think about, right, in, during the Seder, we have things that symbolize slavery, and we have things that symbolize freedom. And here, uh, Rabbi Saif uh, implies that maror is actually a combination of the two, right? Maror symbolizes the bitterness of slavery, but also the redemption of the Jewish people, right? Whether it was the original redemption uh, from Egypt uh, or it was the fact that we were living in our homeland. Uh, and that also ties back to what we mentioned in the beginning, which is that these five herbs that we mentioned in the Mishnah and the Gemara are actually plants that grow in Israel, right? There's an, an inherent connection between Maror and Israel. Wait a minute, if Maror is only about slavery, what does that have to do with Israel, right? But interestingly, if we think about Maror as both, uh, then it works out really beautifully. Uh, and I think that this is uh, a new way for me to, to, to understand uh, Maror, and I hope it's a, a, a new way for you to understand uh, Maror as well. Hold on, I see a few uh, Lynn added. Uh, two experiences, choosing the path of suffering, okay, uh, bitter, or the path of Torah, which is freedom, beautiful. Um, uh, sorry, one second. Or the path of Torah, freedom from sin by following the law. Um, beautiful, blessing kings and others is sweet. Yafe, right? So you're saying uh, that that the bitter herbs. I think I think this is what Lynn is saying, right? That we have two options, right? We see it as bitter uh, and sweet, right? And we should pick. Maybe is that what you're saying? That we can choose our path, right? Do we see it as bitter, or maybe it's really about uh, experiencing both, right? We experience the bitterness uh, and we experience the idea of redemption, of sweetness. Um, so I think it's really uh, 
a, a, a beautiful, I, I think it's a, it's a very interesting idea on how we understand, uh, on how we understand uh, Maror. And uh, right, so Lynn is saying you have to choose your own path. Beautiful. Uh, so it's a inner work. I like that very much. Uh, right, Maror is going to inspire us uh, to choose a path. Um, I, I like that very much. And I think, again, as I mentioned uh, in the beginning, uh, I really think it's also about experiencing both of those things, right? Again, uh, that, that link in the chain. I do need, right, the, this, the Haggadah tells us and the Mishnah and the Gemara tells us, right, every person sitting at the Seder needs to uh, experience or feel like, like they uh, left Egypt. Right, so we do need to experience the bitterness, right? Uh, I think there's something very important in saying life isn't uh, always sweet, right? There is bitterness in our lives, uh, and uh, I, I like that, choosing the sweet over the bitterness. Uh, so really beautiful. Uh, I want to thank you all for uh, joining me on this uh, journey of Maror, and uh, thank you all for... Uh, for, I, I, I'm really enjoying your, your comments and your contributions. I see another one from Hadassah. In herbal medicine, bitter herbs are cleansers, especially of the liver. The liver is the mm -hmm. seat of emotions. Wow, especially anger. Yes, the Gemara talks about that. Anger is like Avodah Zarah. Eating bitter is, is owning ourselves. Oh, yafet. Very nice. Is right committing ourselves to, to God. Uh, I think that's a beautiful idea, right? So that's uh, take Lynn was saying choosing the path between bitter and sweet. I think Hadassah is saying use the bitter to cleanse ourselves uh, from negativity, from anger. Uh, I like that very much. Maybe right, you have to eat bitter to get rid of the bitterness within us. Uh, beautiful. Um, wow. Thank you all so much. And uh, I think that, yes, right, Lynn is also adding this idea of sympathizing with others. Uh, I think that that's very important, right? Uh, uh, in our Seder, we do um, want to uh, feel that emotion, feel that bitterness um, so that we can sympathize with other people. Yes, empathy is extremely important. Um, yes, well, wow. Uh, thank you so much, everyone. I really uh, appreciated the uh, the 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 comments and the additions to this shir, uh, wishing everybody a Chag Kasher B'Sameach, as they say here in Israel, uh, a beautiful uh, Pesach. Uh, and for those of you uh, who are in my Gemara class, I will see you tomorrow. <laughs> so wishing you all a, a, a good night and a great week.